All right, another big press conference day in Leafland, Bratcher well, Living. Will be as dramatic as the last one? Not as dramatic. I'm hoping some for some dramatics, though. Press conference days are always big days when it comes to MLSE. <laughs> to discuss that and more, let's bring in our insider brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. That is none other than Frank Saravalli. Two appearances for Frank Saravalli this week. So that's, Busy that's guy. A NHL insider and president of hockey content, DailyFaceOff.com. Confirmed the news yesterday that... Brad Trilliving was going to be the general manager of the Toronto Maple Leafs. So, uh, Frank, let's start with this. Why, why in the end have you learned, or at least in your discussion since, learned that uh, why the Leafs went after Trilliving? Why Trilliving was the guy? What do we know more than we knew when they were just flirting with the idea of bringing in Brad Trilliving? I think he's the best candidate available. Uh, experience, how many times has that been the buzzword for... Um, his press conference, and it's not just experience. Um, it's experience handling difficult situations, specifically when it comes to star players. Um, their contract situation it doesn't always work out quite according to plan. What's it like when you're in the heat of the action and you're forced to pivot and forced to make a, a significant move? Your player comes to you and says you know, like a franchise player, one of the top players in the NHL, as you see in these playoffs, Matthew Kachuk, I don't want to be here anymore. You got to make the best of a bad situation and make the best trade possible for your team. Bradstreet Living was in that spot less than a year ago with the Calgary Flames. So he's also someone that at the NHL level, working in both Phoenix at the time and then now Calgary has never been fired. Um, so clearly someone that was able to, uh, to not just make the best with what he had there, but also, you know, put Calgary in a spot that they were competitive almost every single year he was there. It is somewhat interesting that the Kachuk trade is what kind of convinced people or maybe convinced MLSC that this was the right guy, given that Kachuk plays for a team that Trill Living does not uh, <laughs> run uh, or did not run. Um, so, you know, you can take the information from that. I guess that's why a lot of fans are a little bit down. A lot of people are very in favor of, of the move, but there is some skepticism yeah, I don't understand that. over the moves. What do you, uh, why not? Well, I guess my thing, like I, I was watching social media sort of unfurl yesterday after, you know, it was out there that Brad Treeliving would be the guy. And that was like one of the big knocks was like, what a miss that was. And I'm like, the player came to you and said, I don't want to play in your country anymore. Mm -hmm. How do you, it's not like he, he did something wrong for that to happen. How do you combat that? Like his two best players on his team just happened to be American. One decides he wants to go home. And the other one says, yeah, I don't want to play in this country anymore. Well, that's why I'm interested in like what the mandate was, because I think the right move after Johnny Gaudreau spurns you and Matthew Kachuk says, hey, I'm not playing here anymore, is to be like, okay, we need to take a step back I mean, here. you could have moved the we're, franchise we're, to the States. Or they could have tried that. But, we're, you know, we're, <laughs> we're, we're, we're clearly going to I be I can worse. tell you what the mandate was. What was the mandate? The mandate was we're in a competitive cycle. We need to win. Yeah. We need to get we, – we just lost in the Battle of Alberta. This is the best rivalry going. We need to hold serve. We need to stay in the game. And that's, that's sort of the one thing that I think 
when you evaluate Brad Tree Living's tenure in Calgary that most people don't really have a full grasp on is working for Murray Edwards. Like it's it's a lowercase. I, I don't know how to say it in a in a really polite and nice way. It's one of the true pressure pressure cooker jobs in the NHL. It's he's he's a he's a difficult guy to work for. Um, he, you know he's he's sort of all over you. The mandate is to win every year. They don't accept rebuild or retool. Mm-hmm. And that's the push. And you're doing it in a market that's not a big one. You have an arena like straight out of 1980. No amenities, no buzz. And, you, you know, at least in Tree Living's case, he had a, a few Americans on his team that were far away from home that didn't want to be there. So, so, again, I'm not painting a picture that's, you know, woe is, is Brad Tree Living or woe is Calgary. It's just that it's it's really not an easy place to work. And I think what he was able to make of that situation, that's why a lot of people view him as someone that can come to Toronto, totally different set of circumstances and scenario, and say, hey, what can you do now with a team with basically unlimited resources so, and, and, a, and a similar mandate? So did the the, the you know the s- situation that he was in that explains the mistakes right that that explains hey we got to play pay Gl- Blake Coleman this and until then and Nazem Kadri this and to then and we have to give you know eighty million plus to Jonathan Huberto even though we weren't sure if he was going to actually fit in is that all situation and is it the situation that eventually drove Brad for a living to be like hey I don't know if I'm going to be in the league next year but I don't want to be here anymore yeah I don't know if it was quite. I don't, I'm, I don't know if I'm going to be in the league anymore. Like, I don't know if that was his thought process when it comes to doling no, out no the guarantees. contract. No guarantees. The league but, job wasn't open then, right? Mm-hmm. Like, he doesn't know. If he's leaving, there's a bit of an uncertain future at least. Sure, he could sign on, but he didn't know he was going to be the Leaf GM. Yeah, and, and but I will say that that's typically the, the push and mandate from ownership is typically what drives a lot of the decision-making process with a lot of managers. Like, look, look no further than Calgary's neighbor to the west in the Vancouver Canucks. You mean to tell me through, like, four different regime changes at this point with the same group making basically the same mistakes over and over again that it's the GM's fault? You can only do with what you're told to do. Mm-hmm. So I, I think, you know, to me, that at least, when, when your mission is we got to make the playoffs every year, can't miss you don't have the ability to step back and rebuild you'd like to you know that that might be the best and most prudent thing but your boss is telling you we got to make the playoffs next year so frank best available is certainly a way to describe the hiring of brad trey living but i wonder if anyone else was seriously considered for this role we never really heard who else was present we heard some zooms and some you know calls etc but do you think there was anyone else really in the running or was it brad trey living this whole time not only do I think it was Brad Tree living this whole time, um, I I kind of wonder like how far back this mm. process. Not, and I don't mean like conversation. I just mean how much was this seed germinating in Brendan Shanahan's head of it being a possibility, like even while everyone was still employed somewhere else, like since because April when he when he decided to leave Calgary. There's. 
No, I think it probably stretches even back further than that into mm-hmm. March. That there was a bunch of rumors flying then. Brad Tree living to Toronto to replace Kyle Dubas, and everyone was kind of like, "What?" You know, you'd, you'd even ask around about it, and then people would say, "Like, I don't know where you're getting that from. I don't know what that means." Like, Brad Tree living still under contract in Calgary. No idea how that's going to play out. Kyle Dubas's team on its way to the playoffs yet again after another great regular season. How does that even make any sense? Yet I can, you know, I can send you screenshots of my text messages from me asking around. March 23rd, I looked it up the other day, asked people the same question. What, what's with this hot rumor, Brad Tree living to Toronto? So I don't want to say that it was cooked um, because I don't, I think maybe that's just, you know, sort of a self-fulfilling thing that, that happened. But in terms of the process itself, I don't have any real clear evidence that Toronto ever considered anyone else. Like, did they have, did Brendan Shanahan have a multiple conversations with other people? Yes. How many of those ended up being, you know, the sort of sit down in person interviews that Brad Tree Living seemed to get from the beginning of last week? How many, how far, how deep did this process go? Because anytime you sort of came up with, um, hey, this guy's on the list, or hey, I uh, heard they talked to this person or, you know, I put a few names out there. Then people would sort of come back to you and say, well, you know, that person did have a conversation, but it was on Zoom or but it was sort of informal. And it was like, OK, well, how how deep did the process really go? I, I don't have a full sense of that yet. Maybe that's something that Brennan Shanahan will go into detail more about today. Maybe the Flames, because they didn't want Trilliving to talk to anyone, maybe they sensed something was up too, uh, and maybe they the half-hearted attempt to block or make things difficult, I'm not really sure, but the fact of the matter is that Trilliving is here, uh, and the next steps start uh, today. When thinking about Shanahan, do you get the sense that he'll have, when it comes to the day-to-day or, you know, semi-important decisions and, and more important decisions than that, that he'll have the same grip, more of a grip, less of a grip between... Tre Living and Dubas, how, how do you think this changes Shanahan at all? And is he assuming more responsibility by making this hire? I, I think that's the billion-dollar question today. And I, I don't know if it'll be asked. I don't know even if it is that you'll get a straight answer. But even just something as simple, like I've been thinking about this a lot since, the the decision, that big press conference that I think will play it in everyone's head for a while um, when Brendan Shanahan went through detail of, of Kyle Dubas and his exit is like you heard in the days since then, well, Brendan Shanahan has spoken to the core four and essentially this was what was reported that the expectation was that they'll be back. And I was thinking Right from Jump Street hearing that, assuming that it's accurate, why is it that the president of the team, when we just went through this whole autonomy thing and power struggle, why would he be sending that type of message when he hasn't hired anyone yet? So it was either one to sort of quell any sort of uprising that may or may not have happened in terms of, player unhappiness or whatever else 
and you just say whatever is necessary to placate everyone to make sure that everyone's happy so you can do whatever you need. Or it's because he's already made the decision that that's the best path and whoever the next person is is just going to fall in line, expected to fall in line the same way that Kyle Dubas did. I don't know the answer to it, but I'd be really curious to find out because it's, you know, I don't think Brad Tree Living has any issue working with others. Like, he was really collaborative with the group that he worked with in, in Calgary in that, um, you know, he's always had everyone at the table, Don Maloney, Craig Conroy, Brad Pascal, Chris Snow, whoever it was, um, everyone was always sort of, you know, included, and that's the way it worked. It may be a little different now if that's the case, that, the president is also still involved in, in making hockey ops decisions. I, I wonder if maybe though, after going through all this, that the tune changes a little bit, at least it, it, it there, I, I, it's still, you're still going to have a hard time. This sounds funny to say the pushback has always been since I've ever, since I've been saying all this, the pushback from the Leafs has been continually. Brendan Shanahan is not involved and the GM does have autonomy. It's just that if that were the case, then why isn't Kyle Dubas still here? Talking to Frank Cervelli, NHL Insider, president of hockey content at dailyfaceoff.com. Okay, so naturally the one of the biggest questions that remains, and maybe we get some information about that today, is Sheldon Keefe. Um, kind of sounds like maybe he's staying a little bit. Uh, Elliot was talking about this yesterday um, on our station quite a little bit. M- more comfortable in, in thinking that his his job is safe for now. Um, what do you think about uh, the prospect of Sheldon Keefe getting another opportunity with the fact um, that he doesn't have a contract past this date and if, if this year, and if that makes a difference in terms of, of how the Maple Leafs move forward? Is there a contract extension on the line? What's the temperature around Sheldon Keefe? So uh, my understanding or my belief is that Brad Tree Living is going to take some time to, to get to know Sheldon Keefe, obviously looking at his regular season success and track record. Um, I think the big thing that they're going to go through and compare is with Sheldon Keefe, is, are we going to go out and find someone that's better? And that's the big question is, you know, we may move on, but do we already have the best candidate that's out there? If we were to go through a search process, would we want to hire this guy based on what his track record is and based on our familiarity with him? So I think that's one. And I I do um, agree with Elliot and, and I would lean towards not just Sheldon Keefe coming back, but I would lean towards, at least at this exact moment in time, this core four coming back intact. That's probably going to drive some people in the fan base wild. It's probably going to have another subsection of the fan base that's just nodding their head like, yep, how do you possibly win a transaction? How do you make your team better? And I've spent untold hours going through every team in the league to cook up some kind of scenario that makes sense. These are really difficult trades to pull off. I I just don't know that that's probably what their calculus is going to end up being. We could, we could rip the bandaid off and do this just to do it. But are we actually making our team better as a result? I, I personally tend to lean towards 
thinking that something's going to be different the next time around is lunacy. But I've also seen the Washington Capitals win the Stanley Cup and the St. Louis Blues win the Stanley Cup after they banged their head against the wall so many times as well. So what's going to happen with uh, Austin Matthews is definitely up there in the, in the discussion in, in terms of uh, pressure um, for Brad Trey Living. So we do know that he's already reached out to Matthews, it sounds like, to have a conversation before he was even accepted uh, as, the, as the general manager. And also it seems like he has a good relationship with Matthews' agent, um, whatever good means. I think Maple Leafs fans are going to hold on to that piece of information. Um, what do you know about Brad Trey Living and Matthews um, and maybe how he's going to approach what's going to happen maybe over the next month or looking forward into the rest of the season if, if Matthews doesn't sign an extension at uh, July 1st? Does not surprise me in the least that Bradtree Living reached out and has already sort of begun the process. Um, he is a master communicator, and he gets along with everyone. Um, that's one thing about Bradtree Living. He just he works the phones like a maniac, and you know, some would say he has a closer relationship with Matthew Kachuk now than he did when he was in Calgary. Like, he's that type of person that's always in touch. Um, you know, players really like playing for him. You saw the tears in the eyes of the Don Maloney and, and John Bean, their CEO in Calgary, when they were announcing that he wasn't coming back. Everyone really likes working for and with him. So, and that's players included. Like, a lot of players in speaking to them in Calgary on the way out, they were really disappointed that he wasn't coming back. So, that strong relationship and bond to see that already sort of get off to a start um, like that in Toronto with such critical pieces, uh, that's like straight out of his playbook. So makes sense. Um, and I think part of it's just a, a, a comfortability factor for Matthews. A, a, I don't want to say familiarity because there isn't going to be any, but that's, I don't, I don't even, I don't, I just don't know if that's the hardest part, the, the biggest hurdle to get over. I still think at the end of the day, the issue is going to be the number. And it's going to be what the Austin Matthews camp is looking for. Is this attempted to be another precedent-setting contract? Or is this a, hey, we understand that Austin's coming off of uh, an average year for him, for someone that makes 11.6. This is a significant juncture for this team in terms of being competitive. He wants to win, doesn't need every dollar. And, you know, this, the Leafs need to be in a spot where he can be surrounded with the best players possible with the cap going up to be competitive. Or is this, you know, we want the most dollars possible. Give us 15 million bucks times five years and put the Leafs in basically a headlock. I don't, that's going to be the tell. It's what, what are they looking for? What's the ask? that really is going to determine the tenor of all this. It's it's not going to be can Brendan, Sh- can Brendan Shanahan and Brad Tree Living get along with Austin Matthews. I don't think that's going to be an issue. How do those social skills translate? Like It wasn't like Kyle Dubas was the black sheep, but I, I think there was maybe a bit of a graduation process that he had to go to as a young general manager, but it doesn't seem to be the issue for uh, Brad Tree Living. You're going to see it. You're going to see it today. Like it, 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 How does it translate? I, but like once what, what, people, today doesn't really matter, right? Like how does it translate in building a hockey team? Oh, I, I just think it's uh, for one being in constant communication with everyone 
you have a real good sense of what happens around the league. You have a real good sense of players that are available, opportunities that, that may exist for yourself. you got to remember what kind of league we're dealing with. There's a, one subsection of general managers that only call their friends. They only mm-hmm. speak to the same four to seven people on any given season basis, unless they're at a GM meeting and in the same room as someone else. And even then, it's more just like, hey, how you doing? Then there's a whole other subsection of GMs that are, are, are terrified to call anyone because they don't want to make it seem like they're losing leverage or, God forbid, they express interest in a player because, therefore, oh, my God, they're going to charge us more to get him. So you have to remember what that means for someone that just is like, yeah, I don't care. I'll call anyone. doesn't matter. He's just like, so that's how does that translate to building a team? You learn of opportunities. You get a sense of what prices are, how things work, uh, what different organizations are trying, uh, relationships with players, agents, what makes them pick, all those things uh, from a communicative basis. Um, and I think you apply that as best you can. Sounds like he's the right guy to move someone from the core four. <laughs> um. I don't think he would be afraid to if push came to shove. Hmm. If the right opportunity presented itself, I I think he would pull the trigger in a heartbeat. It's just, I don't know at this exact moment in time whether something like that's actually going to present itself because we're still dealing with, at least at this exact moment, a flat salary cap. And... Everyone knows the situation the Leafs are in with their contract. You know, William Nylander is going to need an extension. Austin Matthews is going to need an extension. This is still is a hard time to deal, guys. Uh, we're talking to Frank Cervelli, NHL insider, president of hockey content at dailyfaceoff.com. Uh, one last one here for you, Frank. Maybe, maybe one of the last times I ask you about this man, Kyle Dubas. What's going on no. with the... Uh, yeah, okay, I know. It'll be next week, too. Uh, what's the situation with this uh, Pittsburgh flip-flop? It sounds like uh, multiple reports that maybe he declined, <sighs> maybe he didn't decline. Uh, what's going on there? Oh, I, I think the fair and and likely accurate scenario at this moment in time, Thursday, June 1st, 7.30 a.m. Eastern, is... He hasn't made up his mind yet. At least that's what it would seem on the surface. There seemed to be some indication earlier this week that, you know, maybe the Fenway Sports Group had circled back to some other candidates. Don't know how accurate that is. I do know that they've kept in touch with some other candidates that went deep in the process before they decided to put everything on pause and engage with Kyle Dubas. So those people are still in the mix uh, and have been told they're still in the mix. But we don't have any sort of indication yet that he's either said no or yes. I don't, I don't think there's been a big negotiation ongoing. I just wonder if today is the day that the rubber meets the road on a whole bunch of things. I think they'd love to get the send sale announced today. Uh, and then it, what kind of trickle-down effect does that have on the Penguins' decision with relation to Kyle Dubas? It seems like that's been the holdup. Why would he make a decision on the Pens 
without knowing what happens with the Sens. Um, and both of those things, why today? Because Stanley Cup final media day is on Friday, and we know the NHL doesn't like anything interfering with that. So that I think that was also part of the push. Hey, let's have this Maple Leafs press conference today. You might see some more news today. You might see some more coaching hires today. Should be interesting. Uh, it's, it seems like, yeah, if, I mean, yeah, we got to clear the path for the Stanley Cup final. But if Kyle Dubas signs a deal the same day Brad Living is introduced as Maple Leafs general manager, <laughs> uh, it'll definitely spawn some takes. Uh, Frank, thanks so much for joining us again uh, twice this week. We appreciate it. And I'm sure we'll catch up again next week. Sounds good. Have a good one, guys. That's our insider brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. Brad Trey Living sitting down for his press conference at 11 a.m. Get a Sportsnet alert on your phone. Kyle Dubas signs with Pittsburgh. Mm. The Ottawa Senators are sold to whatever remaining non-fraudulent groups there I are. I mean, if it can't happen during the Stanley Cup final, it has to happen today, right? It could be a like really we, busy day today, We folks. cannot be doing this with the Ottawa Senators for very much longer, can we? <laughs> can Dubas continue to do this? We like, just all might this, be, Justin. All this stuff hinges on Ottawa and Dubas and it all trickles down from there. It's, it feels like it's got to get done. Okay. Well, today we have a little bit of a different schedule. Uh, we'll give you an update here. Uh, Brad Trey living will be meeting with the media later today at 11 a.m. So we'll be carrying the press conference live on Sportsnet 590. The fan because of the time JD Bunkus and Blake Murphy will anchor our coverage. So our, our lineup for today what, is a reunion for the boys. <laughs> that's right. Uh, we'll be six to nine for us as always just, we're just cooking along here. Uh, 9 to 10 will be the J.D. Bunkus podcast. Jay's Talk Plus from 10 to 11, and that's with Blake Murphy. And then at 11 till noon, the two of those boys will uh, host the Bla- Brad Trey Living press conference live on the station. And then 12 to 1, we'll have the Jeff Merrick show. You can catch the full two-hour show of that on 360 and the alternate stream because at 1 p.m., Blue Jays baseball kicks off. Uh, you've got... Kevin Gosman on the mound uh, with a day getaway game, 1 p.m. Um, 1 p.m. That'll be live on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. And Real Kipper and Bourne, who are the two to three time slot, will be live on Sportsnet Now on YouTube. Then you can catch them on 590 from 4 to 5 p.m. And then 5 to 7 will be Blair and Barker. So you can check all that out on their station and on our streaming platforms at a little bit of a different schedule today for the Brett Trey Living press conference. Okay, let's get to something to chew on. Brought to you by Great Canadian Meats. Yum, yum, yum been a while since we talked a little Raptors basketball because, you know. Speaking of things we're waiting They're on. also waiting patiently. Maybe we get an announcement today, too. Um, but we do have a little bit of a tidbit from Fred Van Vliet. So Raptors point guard Fred Van Vliet has emerged as a potential replacement for James Harden in Philadelphia. As we know, the Sixers just hired former Raptors coach Nick Nurse as their new head coach. Fred's entering this offseason with a $22 million player option, is expected to opt out and become a UFA this offseason. So weaker free agent class, Fred maybe projects to be one of the top players available. He made an appearance on stadiums inside the association on Tuesday and shared his thoughts on Nurse and the hiring in Philly. So let's play that audio clip now and maybe Fred Van Vliet's headed to Philly. 
pretty much had to get Joel on board. I think yeah. once they got that, you know, once Nick met with, with Joel, and as long as he's signing off on, on all the crazy stuff that coach wants to do, then uh, <laughs> I think that, you know, they'll be, they'll be in a good spot. So, uh, you know, I think he'll have some success, hopefully not too much, you know. If, yeah. if uh, I'm not there, you know, and, and um, I'm staying in Toronto, then, yeah. you know, we want him to fail. But uh, other than that, <laughs> uh, I'm happy that he landed on his feet. You know, our situation was our situation this year. And coming down the stretch, you know, they decided to go different ways. But uh, I'm just happy that he landed on his feet. Good to see him, you know, back with another job. Have you gotten any calls or text messages from, like, Joel Embiid or James Harden? It's like, you know, what's to Nick Nurse? What, what, what yeah. am I getting into? What is he bringing to this roster? No, I haven't got those calls okay. yet, but they might be calling after training camp. <laughs> you know, trying, to, trying to figure out, you know, how to, how to read him. But uh, he's definitely a, a different guy, but certainly, you know, one of the top coaches in the NBA. And uh, we saw that with us winning the championship. So yeah. that bond that we have, that's, that's a lifelong thing. Holy cackles, eh? Mm. Fred's a jokester. Pretty happy to have him on there, right? He was uh, there giggling away. But, you know, Harden has, uh, I think it's a $35.5 million player option for next season. I believe he might opt out as well this summer. Been talking him going back to Houston? There has been some talk. So lots of movement to come. But interesting, Fred, maybe to the Sixers. I'm a little conflicted on this. I fear it would be like the best of the Raptors joining Joel Embiid. And it's like, oh, that's kind of what it looks like when a really good team is really good. Um but also, like, I don't know if I wanna. I don't know if I wanna cheer for Nick Nurse. But if Fred ends up there, I feel like I'll have to have some sort well, of. We'll see him a lot, and we'll see Fred a lot. It'll be a little reunion. It'll be like your yeah, we talked about this. It'll be different, right? Like, mm-hmm. I don't expect Nick Nurse to be like immediately tormenting the Raptors in like an Eastern Conference Final next season or in the immediate future here. But uh, you know, we'll be watching. I think with with keen interest, especially if Fred ends up there and. I'm always going to be cheering for Fred, let's be honest. Yep, he's going to bet on himself maybe this offseason. Um, okay, we're going to talk to Ben Shulman on the other side of the break, host of Jays Talk on Sportsnet 590. The fan, the Blue Jays wrapped up April, thank goodness, 11-17 um, and 17 record, a little bit of a nightmarish month. So let's run through how that might affect the team moving forward. And, of course, Alec Benoit on the bump last night. I saw it firsthand in person. The post-game media, a little bit of emotion from Alec Benoit after getting uh, the hook a little bit earlier on, uh, fourth inning. So how does this uh, affect the Alec Benoit trajectory? Let's chat with Ben Shulman on the other side of the break on the Fan Morning Show with Justin and Ailish. Diving deep into Leafs, Raptors, Jays, and NFL, the J.D. Bunkus Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, with June comes a new month. Maybe seeing rabbit, rabbit on the first of the month like we did this morning will bring some good luck for the Blue Jays. Is it bad luck, though, if you don't execute it the way it's intended? Yeah, maybe. It's too late. I said it anyway. Alec Manoa back on the mound last night. Uh, He had a pretty, pretty bad May, uh, to say the least. Um, Another night of just four innings pitched, three walks, and he spoke post-game about being kind of between the years, um, losing a little bit of confidence, saying don't throw a ball instead of throw a strike. And that's tiptoeing down a path where we might need to make some adjustments in terms of how we deploy Alec Manoa. Let's talk to Ben Shulman, host of Jay's Talk on Sportsnet 590. The fan joining us this morning. How's it going, Ben? 
Hey, guys. Thanks so much for having me on. It's going well. How are you? Oh, we're doing well. Uh, We're looking to move forward with June, the first of a month, a new fresh slate of baseball games, but 11 and 17 in May for the Toronto Blue Jays. Um, I hope we're not seeing what could be a defining month of the season after going 18 and 10 in April. Um, Just a bit of a flip-flop there in terms of production. Where do you start to break down what was May? Yeah, it's a, uh, a a really, really tough month, I think, to look back on. If you go to compare to last year, 18 and 10 was the best month the Blue Jays had. That That's great matches, their best month, but they didn't have a month that was even close to 10 and 17. And I think you got to go a lot to the offense that really, really just kind of shut down at one point in the middle of the month, and they had a, a serious streak. And you have to go to divisional matchups because that was when it happened and the fact that They did not get it done at the beginning of the month against the Red Sox or in the middle of the month against the Yankees, the Orioles, and the Rays. Uh, The month-to-month seems uh, or theme seems to apply to Alec Manoa because we've reached the end of two months and he's struggled throughout the balance of two months. And I was watching last night and I was thinking, you know, this... This isn't a step forward, but this isn't a step back. I guess this is a lateral move, if anything. But the reaction was far more dire than that, at least it seemed. We saw it written all over Alec Manoa's face. We saw it and heard it in the postgame from him. And we saw John Schneider, uh, you know, going through it as well when making the decision to pull him after four innings. Did we kind of see, like, the straw breaking the camel's back a little bit last night when it comes to Manoa and the patient approach to having him roll through the start of the season, even despite all the struggles he's had? Yeah, I think I, I think to a certain extent, because at this point, you know, John Schneider said it post-game, I believe it was in a Shai Davidi's article. They, they are worrying a lot about winning a game every single day, and they have less time right now to gamble a little bit and take more chances because like you said, it's been two full months now with there's a pretty good sample size and things haven't drastically improved. I I agree with you that it wasn't necessarily a step back yesterday, but it, it was already taking him 89 pitches to get through four innings. There were, you know, some, some big misses that involved the runs being scored for the Brewers. And I, I think a lot of the frustration for him probably comes to the fact that he was a, a super length guy out of the rotation last year. He was really eating up a lot of innings, and that was one of the staples of Alec Manoa. And right now he, he's really struggling to even get – you know, into the sixth inning, I would say he hasn't had a seven inning start since April 22nd. And he only has two of those all season. Whereas last year was like wondering how many complete games he might have an opportunity at. So it's, it, it looks like the leash has gotten, I think a lot shorter for now. Now I still think if he comes out and has three or four great starts, all of a sudden things can reset for a guy who was a Cy Young finalist last year, pretty quick, but there hasn't been a, a major improvement really uh, in in a while now, right? I think he had that great Yankee start on April 22nd, but there hasn't been a ton of great starts since. Ben Schulman, host of Jay's Talk on Sports and 590 The Fan. When you hear mindset over mechanics as one of the reasons why Alec Manoa hasn't been able to overcome, is that is that the hardest thing to overcome when it's something that's almost between your ears and a bit intangible in terms of getting back in into side sessions and working through things, mindset over mechanics. Yeah, I think so. I think mechanics to a certain extent, not that they're easy to fix by any means, but there's a, there's a very set way to do that. It is, you know, not to, to use the word in the definition, but it's quite mechanical. You go, when you say this is wrong, you look at the cameras, you try and lift your leg higher, or you try and lean back more or something like that. 
Whereas this is the first time since really like his sophomore year at West Virginia that Alec Manoa has really struggled. He dominated to end his West Virginia career, dominated the minors in the brief time he was there, and dominated the year and a half that he was a starter coming into this season. And I, I think it's probably most difficult to deal with adversity like this for the first time. He hasn't gotten through this before. The next couple times that he deals with adversity, if they come up, I'm sure this could be an experience he'll look back on. But for now, you know, it's really tough. And I, I you know, don't want to make too lofty comparisons, but I continue to think back to the beginning of Roy Halladay's career and how, you know, a little bit of struggling for him really spiraled at one point. He went all the way down, came back up, and ended up, you know, having, of course, one of, if not the greatest career that a Blue Jays pitcher has ever had. Do you expect him to start again in five days? I do. Um, I, I think that there... Not that there isn't momentum that could send him to something like Buffalo. However, the the, the Buffalo Bisons have not had great starting pitching this year. I, I don't claim to have watched a ton of their games, but the numbers are not great from the guys down there right now. They're at best kind of similar to Manoa's major league numbers currently. So I don't think you can expect anything better about some of these guys right now at triple a until their numbers improve too so i i think the blue jays you know don't really have a great option and they're still you know starting to get some of their bullpen guys going and the bullpen finished the month pretty well but i'm not sure a bullpen day helps them out that much either especially with the fact that manoa and kikuchi go back to back and you know kikuchi was was good in the opener but he's not giving you the most like you need your pen that day too so i think for now uh they don't have much of an option and i think they they'll try and pitch manila through this yeah it feels like half measures might be the right approach here and i think the half measure might be just connecting a guy to like trevor richards to alec manoa and just separating you know alec manoa from this equation because i do want to talk about trevor richards like who, who is this guy what are we seeing here and if this is real and he is what he's shown to be over the last little while here what's the best use for him for the blue jays right now yeah, it's a really, really interesting question. He is uh, he is quite the reliever in terms of the different niches that I think that he can kind of fit into. I mean, first of all, it's it's you know somewhat poetic that you know he continues. We're, we have the Brewers in town, and we're talking about Trevor Richards. So the Blue Jays traded Rowdy Telez to the Brewers for Richards. So they definitely, at the time of acquiring him, he was supposed to be a pretty big-ticket reliever, was good for them in 2021, struggled in 2022. But it, it's really tough to say. I mean, I think for now, you're right that it probably is best to kind of pair him with Manoa if you're not getting the innings that you think you need out of Manoa right now and and extend your start almost. But the funny thing is he can be your lefty specialist as well because his changeup breaks away from left-handed hitters. Or he can be a high-leverage reliever like he's really proven. I mean, he you know is getting guys to chase 100th percentile in Major League Baseball more than any other pitcher essentially in all of Major League Baseball. Guys are expected about as low of a batting average off of him as anyone in Major League Baseball. So it's hard to pin him down to one thing. I think for now, he probably gets paired up a bit with Manoa, but you wonder by the deadline or close to it, if some things change, if he gets bumped into more of a one, two inning high leverage role than maybe the, the three innings off of the back of the starter that he gets sometimes right now. 
So Blue Jays have some opportunity to maybe get some uh, All-Stars at the MLB All-Star game. Of course, it seems like Bo Bichette should be a shoe-in, but the list is a little bit uh, less, I don't know, prolific this time around. Blue Jays had a lot of All-Stars last uh, last year, but I don't know how many are really jumping off the page. If you had to pick some All-Star game options for the Toronto Blue Jays, it's Bo and who? Uh, I think Kevin Kiermaier's probably earned it. Yes. Uh, yeah, let's go. go. It's a uh, it's a tough competition in center. There's that guy whose last name sounds like a fish in mm. uh, in Anaheim, <laughs> but I, but I think Kevin Kiermaier's probably earned. it. I think Kevin Gosman's probably earned it. Mm-hmm. Um, it it might be tough after that. Yeah. I'll, I'll be honest. I'm not sure there are that many more. I mean, Matt Chapman's overall numbers are are strong and he did have two doubles yesterday i think he's starting to get back in the rhythm but he he definitely has had more of a down may than he did in up april maybe the the calendar turning to june will be helpful for him so i i would probably put my money on those three over everyone bichette kiermeyer and gosman uh speaking of fish let's go to the one you might not want to catch uh blue jays fans made their presence felt uh when anthony bass came out there for the ninth inning yesterday um you know, it wasn't like unanimous, I suppose, but it was very, very loud. And it was it was very interesting because it's not something we hear all the time uh, protesting a member of the Blue Jays, just being a member of the Blue Jays. Do you think that's going to spur on any action? I, it's hard for me to know, to be honest. You know, I uh, it's it is, uh, you know, a very, very tough situation, I think, overall. And clearly, you know, the fans absolutely have the right. And if they and if that is their opinion, should go out there and, and put their opinion out there. But I think the fact that he was so quickly in a game in a way probably shows that, you know, they they still, at least from a baseball perspective, are having confidence in, in putting him out there. I mean, if if the Blue Jays, just from a baseball perspective, the Blue Jays, you know, right now have had some bullpen struggles and, and he has turned it around from his tougher start. So I think they they do feel somewhat reliant right now. But I, I will say the bullpen is the easiest and often the most changed thing at the trade deadline. So there are a number of guys, and I would say him included, that could have a, a, a job change or a job shift for sure if there are a, enough, high leverage guys acquired uh, that inning couldn't end fast enough for Anthony Bass uh, last one. And I guess like it, we're, it, the blue Jays aren't above any like incremental improvement, but here's one. Maybe I'm reaching for at the margins. It looks like Kevin Biggio, maybe since Espinal went down has shown some improvement. Are you seeing signs of life from the maligned Kevin Biggio? Yeah, I think so. I think uh, he, I think you would, you'd be right that the numbers would support it. He has hits in, six of his last seven games. And I mean, it's a, it's a pretty small sample size, but seven for 18 is a 389 batting average, three extra base hits. He's always been a patient guy, but in the last couple of years, as opposed to the first couple of years of his career, people are throwing him way more strikes now and challenging him because they know he can walk. And he just looks a little more aggressive. I think right now than he was before. He's not 
expanding the zone still because he really still does have a great idea of what's in there. But it looks like when he sees a pitch that he can hit, even if it's a little borderline, he's jumping on it and he's pulling the ball a lot. And I think for him at the end of the day, if it's a breaking ball, that's what the numbers say he hits the best too. So he's taken a lot of breaking balls in the zone. And yesterday he had one hit, but he really could have had two. The RBI he had was a great stop up the middle on a, on a ball hit pretty hard. So I, I think this would be big for the Blue Jays. They you know, have a couple things on the shopping list coming up for the deadline. And if they can avoid one of those things being adding a, a, a another utility guy, if they can start to feel pretty confident in their guys, because Espinal too, unfortunately he goes down, he had three hits in the game. He went down. So maybe he was about to find something, but if they can have Biggio and Espinal just hitting slightly below average or close to it, and not needing to grab someone at the deadline, they can use resources to grab other people in other spots. Ben Schulman, uh, Jay's Talk on Sportsnet 590. The fan enjoy a 1 p.m. start. You got Kevin Gosman on the mound, maybe a uh, future all-star this season. So appreciate you coming on this morning. We'll chat soon. Thanks so much for having me. Anytime. That's Ben Schulman, co-host of Jay's Talk on Sportsnet 590. The fan. Um, speaking of making bets for the all-star game. We hit the wake and rake yesterday, folks. Mm-hmm. So I hope you were tailing it. I hope you were um, joining in on the wake and rake picks we hit yesterday. We also hit with our alternative pick, which was uh Chapo, but he was, he was starting about 10 minutes after the wake and rake. So we gave you that as a free pick. So yeah, big, big wins for us last night in terms of the wake and rake. It was a choose your own adventure in both adventures. We're profitable. Not bad. Um, we will take your picks at five ninety five ninety. Let's quickly do some golf picks. Now the Memorial Open is the our, Memorial. Yeah, I'm not open. Yeah. Just Memorial Tournament. Yes, it is already teed off. So we're a little bit late on this one. We didn't get a chance yesterday. But uh, nonetheless, we'll pick our five pack of picks for this weekend. It is a big it's a big tournament. Um what's next? The Canadian Open. So <laughs> maybe you're thinking ahead of who's gonna be fired up for the Canadian Open. Um you get to go first this time. S- Tee it up here. Let's go. Okay, with the lead, I will go with the favorite, Scotty Scheffler, plus 650. Um, He's the best player in the world right now. He doesn't do anything but compete. He's living inside the top 20. So I will take the favorite, given that I'm up $1,000 in the FanX Cup. All right. uh, To tie you, I will take Patrick Cantlay. Uh, He's plus 1,000 as well. I feel like it's the the year of Patrick Cantlay. Please win me a tournament. Uh, I would love for that to happen. John Rahm's kind of been uh, a little bit out of the limelight, at least uh, of late. He hasn't necessarily performed, but this is the guy who was the story of the early golf season. I expect to bounce back from him at the Memorial, so I will take him as my second pick. Okay, so you're just taking the top of the leaderboard. I'll be a little bit more adventurous starting One day, Victor Hovland will win a tournament that I will pick, and so I'm going to take him at plus 1,800. It's time to win something, kid. I'll take the X-Man, Xander Shoffley, 16 to 1. Uh, I like the reaction because you wanted him, but I will take him. No, I didn't want him. Okay. So Xander's, Xander's mine. Uh, I'm going to take Corey Connors. Ooh. Are we doing Canadians? Because I'll take him right now off the you board. Um, he is plus 4,500, and he is going to be leading nicely into the Canadian Open. So go Canada, go. It'll be, we'll have a brawl over Connors for next week. Um, are we five-pack and then a Canadian? Yeah, sure. Five pack, then a Canadian. I will go with Terrell Hatton, hmm. 25 to one, uh, where I'm seeing it. 
I just, you know, heard someone talking about how they like Terrell Hatton, so I will jump on board because I am a bandwagon jumper. Okay, I have a bandwagon to jump on, and that's Hideki Matsuyama. He is plus 3,500. Um, I've heard good things about how he fares this weekend at Memorial. I will jump on board with the 3,500 and take Jordan Spieth. It's been a rough ride I for him. I can't pick him anymore. Then let me have him. Yeah, 35 great. Take to 1. Him. Jordan Spieth as my last non-Canadian He's selection. He's broken my heart a few times this time around. Um, okay, so then I'm going to go Sun uh, Sunjay M. Uh, he's plus 3,300. Also hearing that he's, uh, I'm just like, I'm just tailing the the group chat online. So okay. my last pick there. My Canadian will be Adam Svensson. I'm going to stick with Adam Svensson. I'm a Svensson guy. Are you? Uh, I'm not seeing his price. I will look it up in the break. Uh, but Svensson's going to be something like 200 to 1. He'll be my Canadian. Oh, I need to pick one more because I already have my Canadian. Yeah. Um, <sighs> Justin Thomas has done nothing. Give me Justin Thomas. He's uh, 25 to 1. So that's like... He's got to eventually do something, yeah. or I just want a bad golfer on my, on my I squad. I think I'm going with the eventually do something okay. method. A bounce back. Yeah. Okay, those are memorial picks. Okay, Cantlay, Hovland, Connors, Matsuyama, Im, Thiga- Oh, Thigala was my backup pick, so no, I don't get him. Justin Thomas are my picks. I definitely didn't write mine down in time, but <sighs> Scotty Scheffler, John Rahm, Xander Schauffele, Jordan Spieth, Terrell Hatton, Adam Svensson. There you go. Okay. Figured it out. Best of luck to us. That is already teed off. Um, we teed off yesterday and nobody got a birdie, so we are 0-0 in the tweet-tweet competition. Okay, we have a jam-packed final hour of the Fan Morning Show. Luke Fox joins us at 8 o'clock on the other side of the break, and then some guy named Chris Cuthbert, who we don't know very well at all, will join us to wrap up the show preview. The Stanley Cup final, which uh, begins in two days. And we'll take your picks at 590-590 for the Wake and Rake.